Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Welcome back to the show. And I want to say this, if this is your first time listening, welcome. Welcome to the show. We are glad you are here. If you're a longtime listener, once again, we want to thank you for your continued support. And, you know, we've been getting some feedback from people. So I have a few call to actions today. I know you're only supposed to do one, but hey, we're breaking rules. So the first one's going to be, I've been looking at the reviews on Apple Podcasts. So first of all, thank you for writing those reviews. If you've taken time out of your day to write one, we do read them. I read all of them. So thank you for that. If you haven't had a chance, to leave a review with us and you're happy with the show, or if you absolutely don't like the show, we want to hear from you too. Please leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. We've been doing this show for three years now, a little over three years, and we love to get the feedback from our listeners and make adjustments and sometimes even bring people on that you want to see. So if there's someone you want to see on the show and you haven't seen them yet, please, please leave a review, reach out to us uh, either on the review or you can send us an email at fan at minority money podcast. That's fan at minority money podcast. Now, got that housekeeping out of the way. Today, you're in for a treat. I'm excited to have my good friend on the show today. We're going to sit back and chat a little bit. And what I told her before we started recording, I said, look, this is just us going to chat as friends and everyone else is going to be lucky enough to listen in. So today we are joined by Nicole Capperson. Casperson. Oh my God, we went over that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I do the same thing. When you visualize someone's name a certain way and then to actually say it the way it's said, it's hard. It's a, a daily struggle of a podcast host. <laughs> but yes, happy to be here. <laughs> my apologies for mispronouncing that. But yes, happy to oh, have no. you on. And so we met at a conference. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Follow all the stuff, love to read Thank your stuff. You. And so I remember just thinking about it. I remember as soon as I met you, I was like, I got to have you on the show. And that was like months ago when we met in real life. And so today, for the people that don't know who you are or don't know about you, please give them a brief background of who you are or what you do. I'm Nicole Casperson. I'm a journalist and creator of What the Fintech, which is a newsletter, a content platform where I basically call out the clear inequities in finance technology and media. And I share the stories of diverse leaders creating change. So I spent the last five years as a B2B finance reporter to find that not only were the industries I covered largely white and male dominated, but so were the newsrooms that I sat in. So instead of spending a career trying to fit a mold, which for a minute there, I thought I was going to end up having to do, thanks to the creator economy, I was able to chopped down my own wood and build my own table. And I started my own content brand because I felt that there was an audience for more diverse stories in fintech and finance than the ones that were being told. So I launched in November, 45,000 subscribers and nine months later, and here we are today. Looks like I was right about the audience being there. So it's really just about being women-centric and people of color-centric. And it's meant to be incredibly inclusive and not exclusive in any way. Love it. I absolutely love it. And this is why we wanted to have you on because we wanted to talk about this. Because I think it's in the aspect, like when you're talking about media rooms and when you're talking about representation in those rooms, I think this is a part that sometimes gets lost where you don't really think about it. And I, 
recently I was able to talk to speak to someone in media and they were black. And I was like, oh, wow, it's the first time that I think I've been interviewed in the media by one other black person. And so being able to talk to him and that was Justin being able to talk to him, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have to translate anything that I was saying. <laughs> I could just keep it real, keep it 100 and just be me. It's a breath of fresh air. And honestly, shout out Justin Mack, right? From Financial Planning. He's new, right? At least Mm -hmm. new to Financial Planning. And Mm -hmm. I would shout out them for having more diversity in their reporting room because a lot of the industry papers don't look like that. And it makes a big difference, right? Like you said, it's incredibly refreshing to not have to pre-educate someone before I have to do an interview or before I have to say a statement. I find that even in the circles that I'm around when it comes to even my social life or my work circles. I think what you and I, we like connected right away because we just cut through the noise. We didn't have to explain the feelings or our experiences or justify them at all because we know, we know it's fact. And that's what's refreshing about having more diverse storytellers in the media and especially B2B media because media is not historically representative at all. And it still isn't. And those are the publications that are influencing business decisions. As I'm just listening to you, you said that's the media that's influencing business decisions. And I'm thinking about the lack of representation. So we're going to jump in because this is a very, very good topic. So for people that don't know what fintech is, because we say that and sometimes the audience might not know what that mm-hmm. means because you know we speak in our terms. Can you explain a little bit about what fintech is? And then we'll jump into the other pieces. So fintech is just a way to explain or categorize the industry of finance and technology combined together. And it's literally meant to be an alternative form of the traditional financial system, which is obviously broken. And it's meant to basically bring in technology and a new set of thinking, right? Like fintech promises to be different than traditional finance. It promises to give access. It promises to level that playing field. So that's what fintech is. And if you ever wonder if you interact with fintech, you absolutely do. Whether you know it or not, if you've ever used a digital wallet or you've used your phone to pay for literally anything, then you're using fintech or if you used a banking app or whatever, any single payment you use, even buying something online. So you're interacting with fintech all the time. And now we're in a place where fintech is becoming more center stage in the financial system because the industry is growing and there's more money pouring in and all that good stuff. So that's What's exciting about it is that now that more people and consumers know about fintech, the more that they can educate themselves or learn about the different ways that they can build wealth or access financial services that opens the doors to more people than the traditional world. Absolutely. I love that explanation for what fintech is. And when we think about the lack of representation of women and people of color or BIPOC, why is it so important for us to have that representation? Because if we don't have diverse decision makers in the room where fintech products are being made, then how are we supposed to actually serve these underserved communities of women or minorities if there's no one building products for them? There's a direct correlation between the leaders building product and the products that actually get into the hands of consumers. So the fintech industry and a lot of what I do is break down why and the areas that are clearly still need work, which is kind of a lot. So only 30% of the fintech workforce is made up of women. Only 12% of founders are women. Only 2% of venture capital dollars go to female founders. And those are old stats that are like not changing. 
So yeah, that's where the root of the problem is in the space. So that's kind of what I focused on. Of course, naturally, like we're on like Minority Money Podcast. Of course, the root problem in the fintech industry itself is money, always. Yes, very interesting. When you talk about the venture capital dollars, the last episode we had, someone was talking about that and he said 3%. So I think it's changed a lot. It's mm. changed a lot, Nicole. Now it's 3%. Okay, my I bad. Think- <laughs> so much change. I mean, there's... <laughs> and then in venture capital entirely, I mean, it's 0.004% of venture capital is invested in the first half of 2021 in Black female founders. Mm-hmm. So there's you know, that. When you think about this and what I said on that show when he said that, and I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time about the numbers because it's 1% growth. <laughs> I it's know, like, it's okay. wow. But when you think about it, that means 97% of those dollars, where do they go? Where did that 97% go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the same kind of people that have always received the most capital. And honestly, a lot of this is, I get asked about it a lot. It's completely rooted in our system, right? In, in our culture. And it honestly, it all goes back to venture capital, back to money being the root of the problem. You know, White and Asian men make up 78% of those responsible for investment decisions and manage 93% of venture capital dollars overall. Google it. Any research will show you that people are more likely to invest in those in their tight-knit networks or invest in people that look like them because mm-hmm. it's just what makes them comfortable. So if partners over there are not representative and the decision makers there of the population, then that completely connects to the kind of people that are creating right back to those products for a consumer that fintech claims to serve. And honestly, at the end of the day, that's basically like financial manipulation, if you think about it, because you're not actually upholding any real promise. And that kind of sucks. But I like to be like aspirational. I think that the industry can do better. And yeah, and it can. And it's trying. There are people out there trying. I think so. And I think what things would you like to see from the industry? Like, I know there's some things that are going out there and what things would you like to see? And then I guess, what things would you like to see more of? There's some things that obviously that you're saying, yeah, you know, this is a big impact. This is a big change. I like it. What do you like to see? And what would you like to see more of? I think that the fintech industry can look at some like other venture capital firms that are focused on minority and women founders and have that really intentional mindset of investing in those people. I would like to see more of that because we just need different kinds of thinking in the space. I mean, diversity is innovation, period. Diversity is unconventional thinking. Diversity is not one single person in a decision-making room has power. There's someone else in that room to say, um, maybe that product shouldn't be like that. Or maybe what you're creating is inherently only made for men or white people. Those kind of conversations need to happen. So that's what I would like to see. I would like to see more than four women co-founders in like a 42 long list of fintech companies in a portfolio at a VC firm. And to do that, like I said, there needs to be those intentional measurabilities. At this point, Congress literally held a hearing in June called Combating the Tech Bro Culture of the FinTech Space, where they talked about the disparities in VC and how that is directly connected. Like, I don't make this shit up. I don't make this stuff up. I simply just report it. And you don't have to believe me. You can listen to Congress. You can listen to these people that have these experiences and have research to back it up to show that we're missing the ball here. We're missing out on $4 trillion by not creating products for women 
Google it. Google all these research tips. Anyway, I could go on forever about this. No, <laughs> no, you, this is good. I mean, it's, I think this is the platform the, for that. The right? missed this is- opportunity is out of this world. And then you want to top it off with research that shares that women founded and minority led companies actually generate better returns. So then if that's the case, yet more money is pouring into white and male founded companies, what's going on here? Yeah, what is going on? As I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about just the whole representation, we talk about representation in fintech and representation in the media and news. If you're sitting here and you're a woman or you're a minority, does news and media, does it look like something you can do? Because we're talking about representation, right? And and this is the funny, like not funny, but I've been learning so much about representation. I always talking about my kids and I, I learned so much about representation from my kids. And it's the younger ones, which blows my mind, right? The, my two-year-old and my four-year-old teach me about representation every day. And so the other day I was sitting here with my daughter and I'm talking about, this does have a point. The story has a point, I promise. So we're sitting here and we're talking, well, as much as you can talk with a two-year-old, right? But she tells me, <laughs> she's like, daddy, that's me. And she's pointing at her dress that she has. Right. Oh. And her dress has a little picture of Princess Tiana. And so she's like, that's me, daddy. That's me. And I'm like, OK, yeah, that's you. You're a little you're a princess. That's you. Then we're going through a book and every child of color, she said it was her. Yeah. And she's like, that's me, daddy. That's me, daddy. That's me. And I'm like, this is that this is at two years old. And my son had something similar to this where he's seen something. But that was two years ago. And so just in case I have forgotten about how important representation is, my two year old reminded me again that everything that we do, if we can't see ourselves, we're always trying to find ourselves in something. And the fact that it's hard to find us in the media and news, what do you say to someone that even may think that they can get into that? How do you even approach that or start that? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, I do some of my own mentoring or even having interns, right. That have worked with me. I make it incredibly clear how important it is that they are sitting in the seat. If you can stick with this, with reporting on the finance, especially the B2B space, mm-hmm. we need you here with my interns largely being women. And, but we need you here so bad. So like one side of my audience that I speak to is the leadership, is the executives, is to say, hey, you guys need to do better and do your part. But the other side of my audience are talking to what I like to call like the fintech curious, people that maybe are already professionals, but want to maybe break into the industry. But why would you want to break into an industry and you Google it and you see the news about it and you don't see yourself? Now you're back being that your daughter, you know, you're saying, okay, well, not one of these CEOs or one of these leaders that I see look like me. What are the chances that I could even reach that level? You know, they say it's like a top down and and bottom up approach because it is. And so that's why I cater to like both of those audiences. I want a little girl or a girl that's in college to say, hey, I could work in fintech or I could work in media and write about that industry or write about finance or tech. And I don't have to be you know, excluded from the narrative. In fact, I can create a narrative where women and people of color are centric. Instead of writing us into a male and white dominated world, why can't we write our own world? Why can't we write our own story? Why can't ours exist? And it can. We're seeing it more. We're seeing it in entertainment, right? In entertainment, Issa Rae, right? And the insecure and rap shit that she's created, right? She's created this world where Black stories are the center. And so I think we can do the same in the business world. But you're right. That example means a ton. And your kids are, they're mixed, right? Hmm? I'm a mixed kid. You're probably going to spend a lifetime with your kids 
looking for themselves because when you're mixed, it's even harder to find people that look like you and feel like they relate to your experiences. It's incredibly important that we give women and underrepresented groups the opportunity to feel inspired by different kinds of leaders in the space. And they need to be on the cover of magazines and they need to be on podcasts and all that good stuff. I totally agree with that. One of the largest reasons I even got started in podcasts is because Desarte was doing a podcast. And I look at the yeah. podcast, I'm like, Young Money, you know, he had named his podcast Young <laughs> Money. And I'm like, Young Money. I, and I thought Little Wayne, whatnot, you know what I mean? I'm just thinking that. Yeah, that, solid. That, solid name, Desarte. Minority <laughs> Money is good too, though. I love it. I love it. And so when I seen him and he's doing it and his name Young Money, I was like, well, then I can do it. If he can do it, he looks like me. I can do it. And I think that we really underestimate the power of representation. I think we really underestimate the power of I can't be it if I can't see it. And so mm. I think about people that have broken through. I think about Dana Wilson and Ana mm. Trujillo Limon, the brief, what they created. Mm -hmm. I think that's so powerful to be able to look on this and look through that. And I think they should have another issue coming out pretty soon because I read them all. But it's just incredible to see these two ladies lead the way in the change mm. and just get out there. And, you know, like yourself, you, those two. There's some other people that are out there and I don't want to start naming people because someone's going to say, you didn't name me. But I mean, <laughs> if you're doing the work, we appreciate you. And I want to tell you, don't be weary and well-doing just because you might not be able to get and hear the feedback from people. People are watching. People are yeah. watching you, and people are watching for inspiration. You inspire me, Nicole. Thank you. I think that that's why when I met you, it was the way it was. And that's why when we meet other people that inspire us, we have to let them know. because Sometimes on the other side of it, right, when you are the only one or one of the few that are there representing the many that aren't, it gets lonely, you know, it's tough. And so I've had some bad days. I've been called all sorts of things. I've been called a sellout by literally peers at mm -hmm. other wealth management publications publicly, mm -hmm. publicly called a sellout. While in the same breath, they say that the industry needs more diversity in their reporting structures. And I'm like, well, maybe if you didn't call us sellouts, <laughs> like, right. what are you talking about? I'm still here. I'm just doing it on my own and doing it my way instead of doing it a way that kept my voice completely muzzled. Anyways, that makes people uncomfortable. The fact that I, that I did that. But it is really hard. Being like a change maker or sometimes a troublemaker, as they like to put it, is hard, especially and then you want to top it off with being a woman in media. And, you know, my favorite woman in media is Beyonce, right? My idol, the person I look to, the ultimate content creator. And even at that level, she moves and she says in interviews, she moves slowly and intentionally on purpose because as one of the first black women to do so many things in media and entertainment and music, she knows that her margin for error is so small and there's so much responsibility on the shoulders. And I can feel, I mean, I'm not Beyonce, but I can feel that too in my own way. And I think that anyone creating content or putting themselves out there can. Anytime I post something on Twitter or whatever, like I know that all it could take is one person to decide to call me a POS or whatever, like call me something bad. Mm -hmm. And then I have to go back and I rely on the circle around me of very amazing people and support system to help give me the real feedback that is necessary, right? As opposed to like scroomdoling YouTube comments where people like comment on my appearance and weird stuff like that. But it's important to lean on the people physically around you and have like a support structure. Like I've created one because of what I do is so can be so mentally draining and daunting. But I agree. Absolutely. I think everyone's looking 
And that makes me feel good because it can feel like you're shouting into the ether sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there's people that are watching. I think about this, like as you brought up the Beyonce example, I think about that, you know, for women and some of her songs, Who Runs the World and some of the other songs. She, she just has, If I Was a Boy, that song's like so powerful with what she's saying mm-hmm. and the way that she's able to communicate. And, you know, she's an you know, incredible businesswoman. I have to be a big fan of her and her husband. But I think about this, and this just came to me. I never really had put these two together, which I don't know why I didn't. But Oprah, if Oprah doesn't come out and do what she does in media and think about what she was doing when she was doing it. Now, this is 20 years before we had a woman of color in the vice presidency. This is well before your daughter could look at a dress and say, hey, there's me, a Mm -hmm. princess, a Disney princess with me. So I think about that. We have to be able to fight the good fight. And then see more people come up. Because I just imagine that Oprah can sit back now. No, she's not. But I mean, sitting back and just kind of looking (laughs) looking at all these people that I've helped, that I've Mm -hmm. influenced, that seen me time and time again. Like, and you don't realize, like, I remember seeing her. This is just Oprah. Like, it's just what she does. She's supposed to be on TV. And there wasn't a whole bunch of Black women on TV with that time slot at that time. She came on right after Phil Donahue. Come on. Right before Phil Donahue. Like, I'm I'm, I'm giving my age out right now. People know I'm old now. (laughs) But what I'm saying is like she had this prime time spot. Think about it. Like you left and started your own career and Oprah did the same. She's like, I'm going to just start my own network. Not everybody can yeah. do that. And we're talking about it at the big scale, but we're talking about yeah. media. And she had mm-hmm. to deal with this stuff in the media for a long time. And she dealt with it so much. And this is without me. Like I haven't done any read. This thought is just coming to me right now. And I call it an email from heaven or whatever. <laughs> but I'm getting this right now and it's just coming to me. And I'm thinking like she had to do all of this and to think that I remember when I thought she's going to start her own network. And I was like, why is she starting mm. a network? Why wouldn't she just continue doing what she's doing? And now I'm starting to understand why. Because there's probably a lot of stuff that she went through that's never been publicized. I haven't read any oh, other yeah. books or anything like that. I can only imagine what she went through. Oh, my gosh. Yes. To be a woman of color in media, the culture has largely documented celebrities. Look at JLo's career. And to think about all that she's been through and she's continued to just push forward. I would even take the example of the year that she should have been nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. And instead, four or five, however many they nominate, all white women instead. That can't feel good. And like doing a career defining thing and then to be like past overlooked again. It's not like she's new. She's completely Mm -hmm. iconic. She has three full-time jobs. But these are just the very highly publicized examples, right? But imagine what the everyday reporter, right? Someone mm-hmm. even in just my smaller scale seat feels regularly. So yeah, that's something that there's a lot of content creators out there. It's incredibly hard, I think, to get more women, especially women of color, to leave their jobs to join the content creating space. But for me, my dream is for What the Fintech to just be like a whole crew of badass women and different types of people and to elevate those voices and to let them have their first right. Like you can have your first writing journalism job with me and mm-hmm. let me show you how to do it in a way that isn't rife with the patriarchy. <laughs> different. Yeah, that's different. If I would have stayed the course, I think about it all the time. If I would have stayed the course and not built my own table, who knows how old I would be before some editor or someone in the old way decided that I was good enough to have a chance. I would have given them the rest of my 20s, probably my 30s, and maybe even my 40s. That's no way I want to live personally. <laughs> so I do hope to encourage more folks to take that chance. What's the connection between the changing landscape of finance, media, and how they work together? 
Talk to us a little bit about that. Mm, probably because finance is in the news more than ever before, especially fintech in particular. It's always been a part of the news. But since the pandemic and people got in super into like their apps and super into their finances, it's been more public than ever before. I guess crypto also kind of did some of that, but we don't have to talk about craziness. That's kind of why finance technology and media aspect has all come together. The Robinhood, like GameStop stock frenzy did a huge number on this. And ever since that happened in early 2021, it's just been this complete domino effect. Finance hashtags on TikTok, which is the most used social media platform, have more views than things like health tips or fitness tips. People want to learn more about their finance and what they can do to help build the wealth for themselves than they do about what kind of squats I should do or like what kind of chicken I should cook, right? So that's what's cool about what had happened. But that event also majorly exposed the clear inequities, but also the lack of financial literacy in America and both the world. Robinhood itself is seeing it's I knew it was going to come. It's a <laughs> uh, slow demise, I guess, mm-hmm. if you will. But now it's, you know, getting hit with like the regulators and all the things and having its layoffs. But anyways, that's largely where the connection happened. And it's not going away. Meme stocks and all that stuff. Basically, social media is still going to influence what happens in finance, whether we like it or not. So you either can come play the game and help. <laughs> the big thing that I think Robinhood did was the no commission trades. When mm-hmm. they did the no commission trades, now it's like, wait, hold on. Cause I didn't even know, you know, as a consumer, I didn't know about the commissions. I didn't really think about the commissions. That's not something that we've been trained to think as the consumer. But when they come in and say, okay, I can just do this. And now you don't see the cost there. And you're like, wait, hold on. I can just do this on my own. And it doesn't cost me anything to do it. Then it started to make things way different It changed the game because now the lack of financial literacy showed mm-hmm. itself there as well. And so I think we also have FinLit, right? There's the financial yeah. literacy stuff too. So that's another, maybe we'll have to do something on that too. But I think there were so many questions around the whole Robinhood thing and then the GameStop and then AMC mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And I think that it really just opened up more thoughts into what investing is, how I can do it. When they stopped allowing trades on Robinhood. I mean, there were so many conversations about what was going on. I used to go to social events i.e. parties, bars, whatever. (laughs) And people would ask me what I do for a living. Oh, I'm a journalist. Oh, that's cool. What do you write about? I write about financial services and blah, 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 blah. And usually it would be like, cool. And they'd move on to the next person because they thought it was boring. Now I'm like the coolest person in the room. Oh, you write about finance and technology? Well, what do you think about Robinhood? What do you think about Bitcoin? What do you think about this? That to me, like my personal experiences going into the world and sometimes it's too much. I don't want to be like in my fishnets and glitter after like at 2 a.m. after like going to a fun club and be asked about fintech. Sometimes it gets a little carried away. Mm. But yeah, like that's the difference. And it happened in the span of the pandemic in two years. And that's cool. But yes, Robinhood basically just brought the Silicon Valley behavioral finance for good and bad, mostly bad for Robinhood's case aspects, right? Of like social media the nudging and the whole thing brought it to the finance world. And now all these different apps are like coming through. And most of them, I feel like are trying to do it in a better way because clearly Robinhood's way is not great. Yeah. 
what they did wasn't great or how they did it wasn't great, but what they allowed to have happen. Like, exactly. I think if that doesn't happen, like, I don't know if we see the changes. I don't know if we have those kind exactly. of conversations because it was like finance meets social media. Right. And when everybody's exactly. starting to do these financial memes and talk about Robin Hood and do all the things that they were doing. I had friends coming up to me asking, you know, about specific stocks that they wanted to buy. And I never, I was like, <laughs> looking at them like, Rob, no, yeah. since we were kids, like you never even <laughs> said the word stock to you me. You never cared about anything. I've yeah, it's like, before. no, you know, they were like, but yeah, but AMC, did you see what it did? I was like, well, that's over, yeah. bud. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. But I mean, it was like the first time in my life I was not only getting like messages from an editor, but also like texts from a friend mm-hmm. when GameStop was happening. It was like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> Whoa. I'm engaging were, in so much conversation around this situation. It's like social media, right? Like social media completely democratized like access to celebrity and influence for everyday people, but also is incredibly poor for your mental health and has in a spike suicide rate, especially among young teenage girls. Those things are just, they're not mutually exclusive. They both happen. Things are good and bad. And then it's up to us, right? It's up to people in the industry to ha- figure out a way to make it work best for people. I got to ask you this. If someone is sitting there, a woman, person of color, BIPOC person, is thinking about getting into media. What's your message to them? No one can tell your personal story better than you. So if you want to get into media and find your expertise, I would, one, be open to a lot of different fields in media. But whichever one you land yourself in, make sure that it relates to your story. So is there something that really hits home for you? whether it's like activism or politics, or for me, it became finance and technology, whatever that is, make sure it comes with you. The world will tell you to get rid of that, that personal, authentic touch. That's not a part of media. We're objective. We don't do that. That's all BS. We like to pretend like people are like these objective beings that have no, no, this is the lie that is told. Everyone has a perspective. And everyone has an opinion, whether we like it or not. I think that being authentic with yourself and your opinion and whatever is personal to you. And if you can share that, whether you land a job at a massive publication and they let you have your own column or whatever, hell yeah, kudos to you. Or maybe it's like me and you start your own newsletter and it has some virality to it in a short time. Or maybe it's your own podcast like you. That's where change starts is sharing that personal story. And it took all this time before I was sharing everyone else's personal stories. And I still am. But it took five years of me in an industry being told, no, no, Nicole, no one cares what you think. No one wants to hear your story for me to realize, oh, wait, they do. And that's what brought me success. That's what brings me the feelings of success more than I can interview the biggest person in the world. But feeling like my story connects with someone else and makes them Mm -hmm. feel like they have a shot at something. There's no better success than that. I love that. I also want you to talk about this because you're talking about being authentic. So talk about you being spicy. So talk about that a little (laughs) bit because I think that, you know, there's someone else out there that's spicy and they're like, well, I can't be myself because not everybody, but how do you struggle with it? Luckily have, like I said, you really have to have almost like a personal board of advisors, people that are always going to be there to encourage you and also to connect with others in the industry that you're in. I'm always taking new meetings. I'm always meeting new folks. I'm always connecting with people on social media to find that just core group of people that share my passions, right? But it's incredibly hard to be authentic. It's my number one tip for life. And it took me all these years to get here. But it took someone encouraging me and saying, hey, no, we are 
listening. And it might not happen so publicly. Some people publicly thank me, but most of my thank yous come privately through DM because I understand that what I talk about makes people feel uncomfortable. But I think that our world is changing, especially with the rise of, you know, TikTok is actually an incredibly informative place that if you train the algorithm right, shares a lot of helpful information around a lot of what we talked about today. So I think that the rise of Gen Z is also lending itself to a generation that really is no BS. They don't care about whatever you're trying to sell. They want to know, how are you going to help me keep my values? How are you going to help me be a better person? How are you building a community that is an agent for change? So anyways, I would just really find folks in your orbit to keep you grounded and and sane when you're trying to be your authentic self. And then always, yeah, remember that your story, whether you realize it or not, is incredibly unique and no one else can tell it. Tell your story. That's it. Tell your story. Seriously. Seriously. Like I said, a lot of people will be like, no, don't do it. I struggled hard. When I first started, when I left traditional reporting and I moved into this creator world, the founders of the media company that own What the Fintech, my brand, they had to really shake me out of it, out of not sharing my perspective. And they were like, no, people are going to sign up for your newsletter because they want to hear about your perspective. I just needed 45,000 subscribers first to, <laughs> to, to make me feel like that be true. But I've noticed that ever since I've started to really put myself and my thoughts more out there, I've been growing faster. I would say also in that same vein, before we get to the last questions here, I would say that some of my toughest podcasts that I had just going into some parts of my life and just sharing it, just turning the mic on and just saying, you know, it was therapeutic for me, one, okay, because I needed to talk about that stuff. I never talked to anyone about it. And then talking to the mic. And then the second thing that happened is people reached out to me and it really resonated with them because now it made them feel like Emlyn doesn't have it all together all the time. He messes up too. And he's talking about things that he's felt at, and he's talking about things that have hurt him and he's talking about his past. And I think that, like you said, your story, you are the only one that can tell your story and being true to yourself and knowing yourself are two things that I think when you tell that story, being true to yourself and knowing yourself is going to lead the way. So Nicole, as we are well wrapping, said. thank you, thank yes. you. I like that. So you get to come in from the <laughs> podcast, so I'm gonna put a smile on my face. <laughs> thank you. As we're wrapping up here, as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we're changing the complexion of wealth. And so we got a few questions for you. The first one is, what motivates and inspires you to learn, grow, and lead? Yes. When someone tells me that my content makes them feel seen, that is everything to me. I don't care how many Twitter followers I have. I don't care how many people unsubscribe from my newsletter, whatever. That's the fuel that drives me forward. And honestly, every day it becomes more and more. Every day I get more DMs. I get more feedback from people and all sorts of different kinds of people, women, non-binary, BIPOC. So that's really the driving motivator. How has your family supported you on this journey? Well, my mom doesn't fully understand. I don't know if she fully understands content creation yet or like my, mm-hmm. my newsletter, but she does understand when I'm interviewed by NASDAQ or she understands when I'm on YouTube and she's like, you're on the YouTube. And so that's <laughs> what I'll show her. 
But ultimately, they were very supportive of my changing and career paths. But mom and dad, you know, when it comes to my financial journey, my mom is from the Philippines. So she kind of has a different mindset when it comes to finances. But for the most part, it was incredibly helpful. She started a credit card early for me when I was young. So I could build credit early, which is not a lot of moms do that. So thanks. Shout out, mom. But I also think that I had to learn my own form of financial freedom or financial independence, which to me is more of a mindset than actual money. So I had to understand that money, there's an economy out there and there's money out there, but it is not who I am or my values or, or discredits anything that I am. And that to me is financial freedom. Love it. If you could offer pieces of advice, a piece of advice, if you could parting gifts for our <laughs> listeners, what would that be? It would be that if you are interested in starting to create content, do it now. We need more voices in the space and just do it in the way that feels right to you. If it's a podcast, do a podcast. And if it's a side hustle, make it a side hustle. If it's posting TikToks every week, do that. Whatever it takes. Being influential in business and media is not not only for massive media publications. Anyone with an iPhone or computer can do it. And we need those voices out there. So I would encourage everyone to pick up the mic and share. Love it. You heard it here from my good friend, Nicole Casperson. Hey, we did it. <laughs> I can learn. I can learn. I can be taught. I can be taught. Right? So if people, <laughs> if people want to get more of you, more of what you're putting up, what social medias are you active on? Yes. And how can they get on this newsletter? What do they got to do? Yes. My handle is at Nicole Casperson on everything. So Twitter. I mean, well, LinkedIn, you just search my name, Instagram, and I will be creating on TikTok here very soon, which is exciting. If you want to follow me before I post a single video, you'll be my number one fan. (laughs) And the newsletter, you can go to workweek.com and you'll see the FinTech tab, or you can just scroll down the website and you'll see a little headshot of me. You can click on that and just drop your email and you'll hear from me every Tuesday and Thursday. And I say some very spicy things. So sign up. Sign up for that. We want to put a link to that in the show notes so you can get directly to it. Once again, Nicole, thank you for the work that you do. Thanks for stopping by and chatting with me. Looking forward to seeing you at Future Proof in a few weeks. Woo! We're going to go surfing. I I don't know if we're going to do that. I'm not getting (laughs) I don't know if we're going to do that. A little crazy there. I don't (laughs) get all in the water like that. There ain't no bottom on that ocean. I'm cool. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But we can stand on the beach, though. I look at the water. I'll just mess with you. It'll be a little cold. It might be a little chilly in September, but either way. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a great time. It's my first beach conference. Never been to a beach conference. Me neither. They really did a great job on this. I've seen the setup, the stages, the oceans behind it. It's crazy. It's going to be insane. So looking forward to that. Like I said, thanks for stopping by. It's always a pleasure to be able to chat with my friends and you are one of them. So thank you. Thank you. And to all the listeners, once again, as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Until next time, we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, We're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. 
but I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here, and until next time.